Welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Entrepreneur, the podcast that follows the stories of some incredible young people doing some amazing things. In this episode, I spoke with Jake Clark, YouTuber and 18-year-old head of growth at Manor. We covered why Jake decided to start his YouTube channel, the tips he has to grow a YouTube channel that many of you guys might like to hear, and also how he carried on after many of his friends gave up. And secondly, how he landed a head of growth position at a cool startup at only 18 years old, from starting out as an intern to later being promoted to that senior role. And lastly, the largest challenge he has encountered within that role. It's pretty scary, right? Like <laughs> you guys are getting younger and younger when it's like starting your own businesses and stuff like that. It's, it's incredible to see. I love to see it. I've had a few teenagers on the podcast before and whenever I speak to them, I get amazingly, you know, massively inspired by their journey and like what they're doing. And entrepreneurs are getting younger and younger. It's, it's so crazy to see. Before we jump in, I want to give a quick shout out to everyone who's been listening to the podcast within the last like few months. It's been an amazing sort of 2022 so far. And, you know, the listenership has grown massively. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if you are new to the podcast, please do subscribe. We have guests like Jake, you know, every week, some massively inspiring people. And we have an, a special episode number 100 coming up with an amazing guest. So you do not want to miss that one. So do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hey Jake, how are you? Mate, I am brilliant. Buzzing to be here. Can't wait for it. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast as well, my friend. Like it's been a while since we first started talking and as soon as we first started talking, I was like, I need to get this guy on the podcast. It's the, the stuff that you've done. I don't really like doing things like saying in terms of like defining people by their age, but the stuff that you've done at your age is, is actually very, very astounding. So it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, man. Uh, yeah, welcome. Appreciate that, bro. Don't try to gas my ego too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 25 minutes of just fucking gassing your ego. But yeah, man, it'll be good before we jump in, just to like, I guess, give people a bit of background about yourself, like just give a bit of an intro. Yeah, for sure. So my name's Jake. Um, I went through the whole system, the GCSEs, the A-levels. I did pretty well in those. And as a result, I started a YouTube channel, basically creating content around that. How you can have a bit of balance with fitness, with study, with social, whilst studying those con those subjects. Uh, I came up with decent grades, wanted to share that. Um, and then that ended up snowballing into a bit of a network effect. I got to meet loads of really, really cool people. I ended up interning at this wicked company and I'm now actually head of growth for that company. And I guess we'll dive into that in this podcast. At, like you're 19 now, right? Uh, yes, just turned 19 a month ago. About a month and one day. It's pretty crazy, right? Like, <laughs> so like, so l l let's go back a bit more. So you, you started as an intern but like even before that, so you started a YouTube channel. What was the sort of motivation behind this YouTube channel? Yeah, so I guess since I was like a kid, I've always been obsessed with making videos. Like I just love creating content for other people to see. Like uh, it started with the typical, I don't know, 14, 15 year old bottle pit montages, like COD montages, all of that. Um, and I, I just got used to the editing software and thought it was really cool. But obviously back then, no one really cared because it's just entertainment. There's no like real value behind it. So then. Coming out of my exams, uh, I actually had the ambition to get all nines at GCSE, which would have meant like the highest possible grades. I somehow managed to finesse that. And then that sparked a conversation while I was in the gym with a few of my mates. They were like, okay, why don't we just all start YouTube channels? Like how cool would it be to be able to make, like to live off of a YouTube channel, to put out content for other people to see and start to build this community of like people all committed to personal development and improving themselves. We all went home filmed a video that night. Uh, I uploaded it about a week later, uh, just kind of on a whim. It was just an introduction to the channel, like what sort of content I'd be posting. Didn't really expect anything of it. 
I started posting once a week, little study videos. Um, posted that for about two, three months without any viewership, like maybe 100 to 200 views for video. Uh, at that time, my mates ended up getting demotivated and stopped posting. But it was around five months in, after posting consistently for that time, that one of my first videos just suddenly took off. Like it was four months after I initially uploaded it, it was on about 500 views at the time. And then suddenly within about three months, it hit 50,000 views. And then I was like, okay, this is insane. Like I could see the like power of the algorithm and the value that I was adding. So because I was offering that value, students were resonating with it. They were finding it helpful. And as a result, they were engaging and then seeing the algorithm take off and promote it to all of these other students. And I felt like YouTube had defined my audience for me and was pushing out my content to that audience. So after that, all of my other videos started to take off and I was in a really, really solid position. Uh, but at the time, this was just prior to lockdown. I, I was super excited. Like I actually made a video of what to expect in 2020. And that was, I was going on this like internship at a nuclear fusion plant. I was like really into the course. I was ready to smash out exams, but then COVID hit and suddenly everything just bent its up. Like I lost the internship all of my views dropped and everything just kind of disappeared. Like all of that momentum, all of that hype, it completely reset me. And I was like, yeah, it was quite an emotional stage because I built up all of this and spent so much time on it and then suddenly nothing. So I was like, I could go two ways. I could just accept that and just like go into a bit of a depressive state and not really do much. Or I could run with what I've got now. So I picked up the, I actually went out and bought a camera and I started vlogging my lockdown experience. So I'd get up at sunrise every day I do workouts and I just wanted to make the most of that lockdown. Um, it didn't get a huge viewership, but it was like, it made me find my passion for content creation and passion for actually creating videos around lifestyle and around my day sections and vlogs, as opposed to just pretty informational videos. Then as lockdown started to ease up, I started going really hard with that content. I started picking up the exams again. People started to get back into exams, get back into revision because they had exams and the viewership starts to take off again. And then I kind of just built up the momentum from there. And yeah, that's kind of snowballed into where my channel is now with 35,000 subscribers and around two and a half million views. And that's kind of where we're stood. What I find crazy about what you just said, just to highlight it for people listening, is that you spent five months doing it without getting any, any views. And most of your friends that you started it with just lost interest and stopped uploading. And then you got to a stage where you also got to, like you were, you got less views, you said, because of the lockdown. And then like, again, you pivoted and you, you got more views from there now, 35,000 subscribers. I guess like the key lesson here is the, the consistency factor, right? Like a lot of your, your friends stopped, but you carried on. But like, why did you decide to carry on? Like what, why didn't you decide to give up in that moment? I think it's because I had different intent when it came to starting the channel with my mates. My mates had the intent of, okay, I want this to turn into something. I want to be successful with it. And like, I want to inevitably make money for it. For me, it was just- Success for them was like making money from YouTube. Yeah. That's, that, that definition of success, that's what it was, okay. Uh, but for me, it was just like, I loved making the content. Like I had fun editing the videos uh, and it kind of played on my childhood love for like the bottle flipping montages or whatever, but now with some value. And I just found it so cool to be able to take all of my learnings, put it into like an entertaining video and yeah make that format even if no one watched it if it was like 10 to 100 people watching it that was enough for me to keep making that content i didn't really feel like 
I needed the success. It was just an internal drive and I enjoyed making it. So you didn't really expect anything from that. You didn't expect like views. You didn't expect anything like likes. You just expected, you didn't expect anything. You just wanted to make videos for your own fun. That's really, really cool, man. Yeah. So at what stage did you think like, yeah, this is taking off. Like this is, I'm enjoying this. This is like, this can be something fairly big. There, there were a few moments like that. So the first one was just before the lockdown. I think I was on about two and a half thousand subscribers and I'd just been accepted into the YouTube partner program. Um, so this was like, oh, I can start to earn uh, ad revenue from my videos. Even if it was like, for example, each video is probably 10 to 15 pennies. Like it, it wasn't a significant sum. At that point I was like, okay, I can make a small amount from this. Um, then over lockdown, that's when I hit 5,000 subscribers and I got my first sponsorship request from an external company. They basically reached out to the email I had listed on my profile and were like, hey, we're a company. The company was actually called Easy A. Uh, can we pay to have an integration in one of your videos? And this was like crazy to me. The fact that I built up this audience and now suddenly I can actually leverage it to make money. I was like, wow, this could be something to go down. But again, it still didn't change my mindset. Like I didn't go down the business route with YouTube. It was very much still just passion oriented, but that happened to be like a, a bonus. And then over time, those sponsorship requests just became more and more until now it's actually developed into a somewhat sustainable income. Um, but again, at no point do I want it to shift into just being completely business oriented. I want it to be internally driven and just have that as a side effect or like a, a bonus. Um, so yeah, I think that first sponsor request was when I was like, I made the realization that I could make some money from this. That is really cool. I remember my first sponsorship on the podcast. It was the same sort of feeling. Like I remember I was episode number maybe 30, like one of the thirties, like within like, yeah, thirties. And I got an email, a LinkedIn uh, message from a brand. And at that point when I was like around the sort of 30 mark, I was thinking like this, is this going to go anywhere? This podcast, like, it's just, I don't know. I'm just making it for fun more than anything. And it was like, at the time, it was like fairly big money. It was like, I don't mind sharing. It was like 500 pounds. And like, for me, I was like, that's quite a lot for like a sponsorship. And I was like, this can be fairly, this could be something big because I'm quite small now and somehow managed this big company to like sponsor the podcast. And so from there, really motivated me to carry on. And I think that's probably the same feeling that you had. I don't know, like if the sponsorship was like more or less, but like that, yeah, I could, I, I definitely share what happened to you because yeah I, I experienced it too yeah for sure um i think mine was on a slightly more minor scale but because i was a lot younger the money went more so the first sponsorship request i had i had no idea how much to charge so i, I offered 75 pounds but for me that was like 10 hours of work if i was earning 750 an hour so that was like mind-boggling um and then over time people told me that actually i could charge more so i started charging more if i'm if i'm being honest with you though it's not it's not even about the level of the money. It's just the very act of a brand paying you to post a video. That's what it was. Like it wasn't even, even if they offered me like hundred pound or like, uh, yeah, even less than 75 pound that you were like paid, I would have still taken it and been, like had the same level of motivation, to be honest. The money itself didn't, it was more just the, the very act of them paying. You know it's what I mean? Like it wasn't about, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally what, like you found, you found a podcast and you're willing to put some budget behind this. It was just that act. And um, yeah, it just really motivated me to carry on. Like same with you. I guess once you did get that sponsorship, what was the next step after that? Uh, next step for me, just continue to put out the content I was putting out. Um, in fact, it, it almost inspired me to go a bit harder with it and produce better quality content. So I was really focusing on just like, how can I improve the videos? How can I offer more value? 
and how can I keep them as entertaining as possible? Um, so from that point, I guess I was more oriented around building that audience and like growing the channel. But again, having the prime focus on how can I make sure that I'm enjoying the process no matter what. Um, and there have been times where I felt like I've started to enjoy the process less and I have to continually remind myself that a, if I keep going, it's going to bring better like financial prospect, but also I need to change up the content so that I'm continuing to enjoy it. Cause if I'm not enjoying it, like there's no point. Jake, how do you stay consistent and also loving that process? Because even for me, for this podcast, even though I, I love doing it, there are certain moments, I won't lie, where I'm like, oh, maybe I should just miss this week. How do you stay motivated and also consistent? That's a great, great question. Um, and if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have given you a very definitive answer. Uh, but this last month, given like lots of external factors and life getting in the way a bit, it, that has slipped, uh, but I'm keen to get back on it. I think it's just about, well, for me, producing the content, because it's content that I love producing. As soon as I look back on the previous videos that I've made, that love and passion for it comes back. Because I'm like, I can appreciate all of those, A, the memories that are in the videos, because it's like a lifestyle vlog, so I, I can relive my past. B, like capturing those moments with the exact emotions that I felt at that time, if not amplified through the music, through the editing, and almost creating like a piece of art that you're really happy to watch. And it like instills the emotions that you like, felt at that time. And knowing that I've been able to create that content before, it makes me want to capture everything that I'm living through now in that same light. And that like inspires me to sit down and edit all of those videos. So like right now, I've had a backlog of about four months of content that I haven't yet edited. I rewatched some of my past videos and just like captures the joy there. And that makes me now want to go down and edit all of the last four months. How I know people will be listening. So who want to get into YouTube and like, we'll, we'll talk about uh, manner in a second, but for, for YouTube, do you have any, like, because you've been doing it for what a year and a half, you said like during the first lockdown, uh, just so like a year and a half, oh, actually, two yeah, years. a year and a half, yeah, yeah. Yeah, year and a half, two years. And you've grown to 35,000 subscribers now. What's what's the like, key learnings that you've observed that people can take away? Because I know so many people want to start a YouTube channel. I think key learning for me is make sure you know your value. So like, what value is it that you can offer and how can you offer it better than anyone else? Because at the end of the day, that is how my channel started. Um, if I just started with the lifestyle vlogs, I'm like 90% sure the growth would have been a fraction or like an order of magnitude or an order of magnitude smaller than it is. So what value can you offer and how can you offer that value in as engaging a format as possible? And as soon as you've got that down, it's just a matter of being consistent and then over time, hoping that YouTube picks one of those videos up in the algorithm and then that snowballs into the rest of your channel growing. So focus on the, the value that you can offer, build that audience, and then you can transition into content that's more exciting or more fun for you if that makes sense. I think that's the key learning for me. It was so cool hearing Jake's story about growing his YouTube and carrying on even after a lot of his friends gave up on the YouTube journey. And this really highlighted for me the sort of consistency and how important consistency is when it comes to content creation. And that goes for like across the board. To illustrate this point, right, I've recorded over 120 episodes, you know, podcast episodes across both this podcast. I mean, this podcast is like almost on episode 100 and also the other podcasts that I do. Now, here's the thing. I never know which podcast episodes are going to blow up and which episodes are going to do less well. So the only thing you can do, you can't control, you know, what, which ones are going to do well, which ones are going to do less well. The only thing you can control is the consistency. 
is how many episodes, videos, you know, like music content, I don't know, whatever content you do, that's the only thing that you control is the, is the consistency. You can control the quality to some degree, but a lot of the time the quality is determined by people, it's determined by the market. So if you just continue doing what you're doing, listen to a few people obviously, improve your overall setup through the feedback, but it's the consistency element that's extremely important. And that's really what lets most people down when it comes to content creation, in my opinion, in my eyes. And so the next step on the podcast, I wanted to ask Jake how he got involved in Manor because he started out as the YouTube journey, right? Ended up being an intern at Manor, and then somehow got involved in the head of growth. So I really want to talk to him about this. Now, before we jump into the second half of the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to the podcast sponsor, Zencaster. I do a lot of startup mentorship with students and stuff like that. And whenever it's a B2C brand, they always look at different ways to kind of advertise their products. They look at, say, social media advertising and stuff like that. Whereas podcasting advertising is very, you know, it's, it's, it's often overlooked. Firstly, podcasting advertising is way more effective than display advertising, with 60% of listeners remembering the brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Now, Google and Facebook have made it incredibly easy to advertise on their platforms, but podcasting is very, very difficult to you know, try to sponsor and like try to get into when it comes to advertising because there's no one platform that you can kind of like go to and, and advertise across different creators that actually match to your brand, right? Zencaster is changing that. So as a brand, Zencaster matches you with the best podcast so your product gets to the right audience and you can maximize your advertising campaign budget. Now, I'm not asking you to pour all your marketing budget into podcasting. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's worth trying because it's a, a really you know, fast-growing industry. and very, like Loads of people have podcasts now. There's a lot of listenership as well. That's definitely grown within the pandemic and in, in the last like two years. So just try it out. And if you do want to try it out, I think Zencast is the best platform to do it because, it, you know, they handhold you perfectly and they match it to podcasts that, you know, you can actually trust. So if you do want to dip your toe in the water of podcast advertising, then do go into the description and click the link zen.ai slash the millennial entrepreneur to fill out the form and Zencaster can help you bring your brand to life in the form of podcast advertising. Thanks so much. Let's get on the show. This is actually uh, another reason why I strongly recommend starting a YouTube channel is it like drastically improves your reach and expands your network. Like suddenly all of these people that are watching your videos, they tend to, if they resonate with you and your message, they'll reach out and they'll like see how you're doing, see if there's any potential collaboration. So a company called Uniwise, I, the founder reached out to me and just asked for a sponsorship. Um, I got talking to him about it. We ended up really like liking each other's vibe, each other's like personalities. Uh, he offered to almost like mentor me and taught me through like negotiations with my channel and like help me to grow it because he really like resonated with the value that I was offering. Uh, I took him off on that. He was an amazing guy. In fact, his name's Oliver, Oliver Rutherford, absolutely legend and has drastically improved my life. But um, he introduced me to someone called Alia who was working at a company called Manor uh, and they were a company for creators aiming to help them to monetize and expand their audience uh, and create that community around that. I was like, okay, this is epic. Let me let me t- chat to Alia. So Ollie set up a, a meeting with me and Alia. I got talking to Alia. Um, we just became friends. There wasn't really anything else to it at that point. And then a few months later, Alia reached out to me and was like, hey, man, I was looking for a creator in residence. I really, I love the conversation we had three months ago. Can we have a chat with the founder? See if an internship is right for you. I was like, yeah, I'm up for that. I hopped onto a call with the founder. And then straight away in that interview, because we got on so well together, we liked each other's vibe. He was like, how do you fancy an internship? I agreed. 
we got in and I started an internship for that summer. I worked for about four months and then stopped when I came to university. Um, and it, like, for me, that was the greatest turning point in my life because suddenly the channel that I'd created had opened up this network for me and this huge reach. And that had allowed me to actually get like a job out of it, a job that most people would spend years trying to get to. And it was just because I was putting myself out there and conveying a, my work ethic, but also like my personality and seeing whether people resonated with that and whether I'd be a good fit for them. Um, then coming into university, uh, I studied mechanical engineering, realized after about three months that it wasn't for me, uh, decided if I had an, another option, I would drop out. I spoke to James, the founder at Manor, and was like, hey, is there any work at all going? He was like, hey man, you perfect fit for this role that we're offering. You've obviously had work experience with us. We really like your work ethic, really like what you can do. How do you fancy being head of growth for Manor? Instantly, I was like, yeah, done. Said, I uh, messaged the university. I was like, hey, I'd like to suspend my studies. Is that calm? Yeah, they said, fine. Uh, I dropped out of the university and began working full-time while still living in my university accommodation. And I've been doing that for the past four months. And that leaves us to say. I'm absolutely loving it. <laughs> Best decision I've ever made. Let me let me ask you this question because I know loads of people that would, yeah, would love that sort of position within a startup. It's not running your own business, but it's as close as like, because you're being, you're basically making a lot of decisions very senior in a, in a really exciting startup. Like it's, it's what I do as well. My job is a head of growth and I, I love it as well. It's the sort of decision-making and the power and the creative freedom that you get is, is incredible. So for, for people listening, getting an internship might be, might be fairly easy within a startup. You just have to like email them and like have some sort of rapport. You were quite lucky. They found you through the videos fairly like kind of like that. How did you turn an internship into a head of growth position? That's that's the that's the thing that's got a question mark over it. Yeah. What did you do in the internship that, that made you get to that role? Well, that's the thing with the startup culture is because it's also early stage, you get to know the inner workings of the company. And then it's so much better if you are like a productive person, if you're adding value to that company. It's so much easier for them to hire or promote within the company as opposed to bringing someone new on. Because as soon as you bring someone new on, you have to learn the whole company like culture. You have to learn all of the workings. You have to align yourself with the mission. And that takes time, if not months. So getting into an internship within a company like that, every moment that you're spending with them, you're preparing yourself for any other roles that you might experience within that company. And at the end of the day, like the roles within startups are so uh, versatile. Like You do a bit of everything that you kind of tackling aspects of any role they might give you anyway. And you're building that experience within the company. So it's not like you uh, need the experience previously. You learn it on the job. Uh, and then that basically builds you into the perfect candidate for them and for that role, if that makes any sense. I think I think the key thing that you just mentioned, like just to highlight was that work ethic. Because we had we have someone on our company that started as an intern. So for, for Wing, my other company, they started as an intern. They're still at school. Not that it matters for like me as a, as, a, as a CEO, right? Like they came on board, they were incredible in terms of work ethic. They went out of their way to do so many things and they got us even a few sales. And for me, it's like, I don't care if you're 18. Like at the time he was like maybe, yeah, 17. I was like, I don't care. You're getting us all this value that I would expect someone older to get. And at, at the moment, like we promoted him to like a business development person. Now he's got equity within the company and it's like, you know what I mean? Like he's come a long way since then, but just because it doesn't matter your age, if you're ready, you're ready. Whereas in a, in a corporate, it, it does matter sort of how long you've been at the company, 
because in, like the value is seen by like how long you've been there rather than the actual output that you deliver in a lot of in a lot of instances and that's why corporates are a bit slow to like to do things i in my opinion so i think that's a testament to like your hard work within the startup at your internship but that is very cool what are the sort of like the key challenges that you've experienced because as you said you're kind of learning on the job and it is it is a fairly senior position so what are the key learnings that you've you've experienced the key challenges you you faced i think one of the key things is you've just got to accept that you won't know much to begin with but no one will like it's such a fresh environment. It's a new company with new problems, new issues to face, then no one's going to be like super prepared to tackle it. So you just got to have the confidence to get stuck in, learn what's need, what needs to be learned and deliver as much as you humanly, as much as humanly possible to fit that like problem. Um, so I think it's just about like having the confidence to accept that you don't know it to begin with, learn what's necessary and then go from there to address, address the issue you're trying to solve. I think that's the greatest thing. I'll tell you what I found really interesting and how I kind of came across you as an individual. I saw on LinkedIn that you posted, you know, I've just joined this kind of this company. I want to get to, I think it was like, was it 50,000 or 500 users? 500,000, what was it? Yeah. 500,000, yeah. So just for people to understand, uh, Jake put out a post on LinkedIn saying, I want to get managed to 500,000 users in a year, right? That's six months. Six months, which is like even harder. In, in six months time, that's what caught my attention. It's what caught all other people's attentions. You're trying to make a really cool piece of content. I guess like a video around like growing a company, which I really like. I really, were you trying to make a video out of it? Uh, so, it would be a cool video to make. Yeah, yeah. Eventually we'll have a like full video on exactly how we did it. Um, and basically building out. That is cool. But like, like, yeah. So how, like, why did you decide to do that? Are you on target? Like how, what are your kind of growth strategies that you've, that you've what's the strategy? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I guess it's like also aligns with a, a key learning um, is growth takes different forms depending on the aim of the company. So when I came on board with Mana, um, we were very much like a creator oriented platform. We wanted to help creators monetize and engage with their audience. So that prospect of 500,000 downloads would be achieved through leveraging influencers audiences uh, through social media and basically trying to just pack as many users into an app so that it gave creators growth prospect as well as that ability to monetize i think that aligned very well with that com with the current company mission when i joined but what i didn't realize is in startups company missions are very subject to change <laughs> so like over time we've had so many different pivots that's affected like what our aims are with the growth that that 500k download aim comes and goes so at the start it was that was the core focus but now it's actually building like how can we focus on building a smaller audience that is super engaged that the retention is like uh 70 after 30 days things like that and over time it's almost like you work in sprints what is the aim for the next two weeks how can i get there as quick as possible and what tech tactics can we employ to do that and then depending on the state of the markets depending on how that progresses and whether or not the company decides to pivot in a different direction to help uh, to grow, help fundraise, help establish itself as a product that we can actually add value with. Um, it changes how we market it, the app and what the aims are. So that's a key learning for me is a head of growth role isn't just about attaining a download metric. It's about knowing what's best for the current form pro uh, product 
how we can grow that in like aligned with fundraising, aligned with the values and uh, value we're trying to add, and how can we like build from there? Because it doesn't just stay as yeah, we need to hit five hundred thousand downloads. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I think these sort of like numbers and metrics, they're really glamorized in say like media, especially on LinkedIn, like people people are like, yeah, we just hit this number. But I would really argue that growing like slowly can also be a massive it is a massive positive, I'd say. And like when I say growing slowly, it's like making sure the foundation of what you're building is very, very well set. So that once, yeah, as you said, the retention rates are very high for your initial users. So you know the foundation of your product is very strong. So if you welcome 500,000 users now, you know that 500,000 people will massively enjoy the product. So they not only will they come into the door, but they'll also stay. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people miss when it comes to like growth positions. Like for my company, it's the same thing. Like we don't want to get tons and tons of people from day one because we're not ready for that. Whereas we do want to get tons and tons of people from say, you know, month six, for instance, I, I'm just putting out a number. I think that was a very, yeah, key learning for me and key learning for you is like going off the scale and like having all these like massive charts going up continuously isn't always a good thing. Growing sustainably is, is the main objective, I would say. I don't know if you've experienced that too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think another point to bring up with that as well is it's a very, you, you've worked very closely with the development team. Because um, at the end of the day, growth isn't just outwards facing, it's inward facing too. You have to build out features and play on human psychology such that you can boost those metrics, like boost the retention, boost the engagement, and help people to enjoy the app. Um, you can market the hell out of a terrible app and then not go anywhere. But if you have like a great app, the marketing becomes easier. So you almost have to, the devs are great, but you almost have to take all of the research you're doing, all of the consumer perspectives, and like direct that into product development um, to make sure that the product is something that is fit for market. And that is something that I kind of pushed out of mind when I had that 500,000 download aim. So that's kind of extended the timeline such that I want to have a product that's great for market before we start pushing it to the, to the masses. I completely agree with you. Last question, Jake, before we wrap up the podcast. So for the 500,000 users, is it something that like you're you're aiming for them? Like, when do you think you'll hit it? Do you think like, and is that still an objective of yours? It's a great question. Um, I think the objective now is to create an app that is ready for those 500,000 users. And once we've cracked that, as, uh, that timeline is very malleable. But once we've cracked that, then the 500,000 download aim is reactivated. So right now, we're trying to create the perfect app for those users before we launch it to the users. Amazing answer. I love that answer. Jake, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I love having you on. How can people stay in touch with you and what you're doing like after, after the conversation is over? Yeah, for sure. Um, so if you want to follow along with my journey and manage journey, you can follow me on YouTube, Jake Clark, or Instagram, jclark03. And you can also check out Mana. It's on the App Store. Or if you want to find the web app, it's mana.live. Well, I really appreciate that, Sina. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Jake. We'll chat very soon. Thanks so much. Yeah, for sure. Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. I hope you did enjoy. If you did, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And as a thank you, I'll give you a shout out in the very next episode. It helps the podcast grow so much, you know, reach more people, inspire more young people. And that's kind of the ambition of what I'm trying to do here. So share with your friends, subscribe, rate the podcast, as I said before. And yeah, thank you so much for listening again. And I'll catch you in the next one.